0: I come this morning, tonight, I'm sure you're doing carol services at night time, I come this morning with a confession to make to you all. We had our work staff Christmas dinner this week, and I I get that's a controversial thing, but I thought because I comb my hair, I might get away with it. Uh, That's a way funnier in my head, I don't know, (laughs) but we went for our staff Christmas dinner and one of our members of staff, I'm not going to say which one, is celiac. They're, they're, they're gluten intolerant. So we phoned up, we pre-ordered the food, and we said, "You know, we need one Christmas meal that is gluten-free. No problem, no problem at all, it's all fine. It's fine. We arrived up there, we sat sort of fairly spaced out along the table, and the waitress came out, and we, we said, just a reminder, one of the meals is gluten-free. He said, no, no, we've got that, no problem at all. The, the food came out. And the meal was sat down in front of the individual who uh, is gluten intolerant. And it looked exactly the same as everybody else's meal. Now, the thing with gluten is you can't see it. It's invisible. But normally a a gluten-free meal looks a little bit different when it comes out. But this looked exactly the same. And we were all doubting. Because we couldn't see a difference and we couldn't, we were filled with doubt about whether this was actually going to be gluten-free or not. And I I turned to the member of staff. I said, just out of curiosity, what would happen if you happened to eat some gluten in your Christmas dinner today? And and this individual member of staff described to us in full 3D surround sound exactly what would happen if gluten entered her body uh, and how it would leave her body. uh, Enough to put you off your meal. So we thought we should ask a third time. So the waiter was going, sorry, can I just, this is definitely, no, it definitely, it definitely is. We're going, and so she ate, and we waited, (laughs) and it was all fine. It was good. But sometimes when you can't see, you, you doubt, sometimes when you can't see, you doubt. And I guess for a few moments this morning, that's what I want to chat to you about, because We find Mary uh, at the center or near the center of this Christmas story. And Mary, this young girl from Nazareth, and the story goes, she is engaged to Joseph. She's not married. She's betrothed. And an angel from heaven, Gabriel, comes and visits Mary and says that you are chosen and you are blessed and you are going to have a baby, not in a conventional way, but the Holy Spirit is going to put a baby in your womb. And that baby is going to be the eternally begotten Son of God, the one who coexisted with the Father and the Spirit from all eternity to all eternity, is going to be born in flesh and bone and blood. And he is going to grow up, and his life and his death and his resurrection, he is going to save people from their sins and usher in God's kingdom, creation, restoring plan. It's a lot to take in when you're about 14. And Mary believed. Mary believed. But you know what? It sounds like a big story, doesn't it? It sounds almost like a crazy story. And some people in Mary's hometown doubted what she was saying. So Mary went. Maybe some of you have doubts about the Christmas story and doubts about Jesus as well. But, but Mary went to her cousin Elizabeth's house. Elizabeth was an older lady who was also pregnant, uh, having their first child. And uh, Mary went to Elizabeth's house in a different town for a bit of support and a bit of help. And, you know, there are all kinds of reasons that Elizabeth should have doubted as well, and we've got Elizabeth here with us tonight on stage. There's all kinds of reasons Elizabeth should have doubted, as well. Elizabeth should have doubted. She should have been blinded to the truth of this story, because first of all, it's, it's, it's biologically impossible. You can't bypass biology, can you? Like a baby isn't just formed and born all by itself. It needs a mom and a dad. Biologically, it's impossible. Elizabeth should have been blinded to the truth of this because of that. Maybe another reason Elizabeth should have been blinded to the truth of who this baby was, was cultural and religious expectation. See, the Jewish people had these promises made over them as a nation, promises that they would rise up and be an incredibly great nation and that they would actually become a blessing to the whole earth. Every nation and people group in the world should be blessed through the Jews. And for a moment, under King David's ministry, it looked like that maybe was going to happen. But, But then after that, it kind of went... Down a bit and down a bit and down a bit and from bad to worse. And they were conquered by the Assyrians and then conquered by the Babylonians and then conquered by the Medo-Persians and then conquered by the Greeks. And in Mary and Elizabeth's time, they were conquered by Rome. They had these promises that they were going to be a great nation, but actually they were this small oppressed people living under the boot of the Roman Empire in Palestine but they hadn't lost faith in the promises. And every Jewish person, Elizabeth included, had this belief that a Messiah, a liberator, a redeemer would come from God and who would be a king and who would be a warrior. But a king and a warrior is born in a palace, not in Bali, Nazareth, out in the sticks that nobody's ever heard of. Because of Religious and cultural expectation. Elizabeth should have been blinded to the truth of who Jesus was. Another reason Elizabeth should have been blindfolded to the truth. You're doing well there with those blindfolds? Okay, excellent. Blindfolded to the truth of who Jesus was, was shame. You see, God cares a lot about family. And even 2,000 years ago, it was, it was inconceivable that he would choose for his son to be born into a one-parent family. Would God do that? Could God do that? That in itself should have blinded Elizabeth to the truth. Maybe the most prevalent thing that should have blinded Elizabeth to the truth, the final thing, is over-familiarity. How often are we blinded to the truth by over-familiarity with a story? This is Mary. It's wee Mary from down the road. Like, she's nice enough, but she's no PhD. She's not going to set the world on fire. She's not going to lead anybody anywhere. It's just we Mary. Why would God choose someone like her? to bring someone like Jesus into the world to do something like this? Why, why would he choose Mary? You see, there are all kinds of reasons that Elizabeth should have been blinded to the truth of who Jesus was. But, but here's the reality, guys. Here's the reality of the story. Mary came into the room in Elizabeth's house that day, and before Mary opened her word and explained the story and, and said what had happened, the Holy Spirit spoke to Elizabeth prophetically, quietly, in her own mind, in her own heart, and revealed the truth of who this baby was and who he was going to grow up to become. God's Son, the one who had lived for all eternity in heaven with the Father and the Spirit, born of her cousin Mary in flesh and skin, who would grow up and who would invite the least and the lost and the lonely into friendship with God, and he would forgive their sins, and he would give them fullness of life. That the one Israel, the one the world had been waiting on, was was growing and forming inside Mary's womb in that moment. And Elizabeth was, was totally, totally filled with joy. Totally filled with joy. And I know some of you get this story. You live and breathe this story. This is the, the formational story for your entire life. Everything else is built upon this truth that Jesus, who was born 2,000 years ago, is the Son of God has forgiven your sins and is transforming the world. But for some of you tonight, you're a bit like what Elizabeth could have been sitting with blindfolds on this morning. And so just for a moment, I want to invite you and maybe help you to take some of those blindfolds off. Maybe one of the blindfolds you're wearing is is the blindfold of truth. Surely this can't be true. You think to yourself, it's a nice story and we love all the Christmas nostalgia stuff, but surely this cannot be true. Surely Jesus didn't actually exist. That's what you think. That's what you believe. But, but here's the fact, guys. There are historians, both Christian historians and non-Christian historians from as early as the first century that have documented In history books that we have, that Jesus of Nazareth was a real person. That 2,000 years ago, he walked on this earth. He was a charismatic leader. He taught, he influenced, at times he agitated. And there is documented evidence to say that at about 33 years old, the Romans executed a young rabbi called Jesus who was from Nazareth. There are Roman historians, let me get the names right if I can, Tacitus, Satanius, who have documented the life and the existence of Jesus of Nazareth. There are first century Jewish historians, Josephus, Joseph, I can never say it, Josephus, there we go. And there's the New Testament itself. Which cover to cover is documents the life of Jesus. But if you're here tonight with a blindfold on and doubts, you're thinking to yourself, "But how can we trust? Maybe the, the, the Roman and Jewish ones. But how can we trust the New Testament? Well, there's a thing called textual criticism. It's the science that we use today to prove, or as close as we can prove, that a historical document is authentic and is reliable. And using the science of textual criticism, we, we determine the reliability of the document. So one of the, the oldest documents we have is called Caesar's Gallic Wars. And documents, well, you can figure it out, Caesar's Gallic Wars. Um, the earliest copy we have, so that was obviously written at the time, the earliest copy we have of Caesar's Gallic Wars dates back to 900 years after those events happened. There are about nine copies of that document from 900 years after the actual event. And, and we deem that to be enough historical evidence to say that is authentic, that is true, that is real, and that is, a, that is a, a text that is taught in history classes in Caesar's Gallic Wars. 900 years after, nine copies. Now you take the New Testament that was written in the period of about 50 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. The earliest manuscripted copy we have of some of those documents is less than 100 years after Jesus walked on the earth. And we have over 15,000 documents dating back to that time and shortly afterwards. There is significantly more historical proof to say that Jesus of Nazareth walked on earth than there is to say that Caesar's Gallic Wars actually happened. It is a fact that is indisputable. So we've removed the blindfold. Awesome. Thank you, Elizabeth. It's actually Emma, just in case you didn't know. She's acting. So there's a blindfold of truth. There's also the blindfold of identity. Because some of you who have doubts are going, okay, I can get on board with the fact that maybe there was a person called Jesus who walked on earth, but that doesn't mean he was the person. It doesn't mean he was the Son of God, the Messiah. Here's the problem with that. The documents that prove that Jesus existed also tell us what he said and what he did. We have copies of his sermons and his teachings that are life-changing and life-giving. We have documented copies and testimonies about his miracles that he performed, about the, the people he brought freedom from the demonic to. Even more than that, we have his own words testifying to be the Son of Man, the Son of God, the Messiah the one that we had been waiting for. You see, if you're happy to accept the evidence that Jesus was real, and I I think that's indisputable. I I think with a rational mind, you have to accept that truth. The content of that evidence testifies to who he was. You can't get away with saying he was just a moral leader. You can't get away with saying he was just a charismatic teacher because the evidence that we have, that's not what it says. I love, there's a famous quote by C.S. Lewis. I want to read it out, and some of you will know this, some of you won't. But I think Lewis summed this up better than anybody I know. He said, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who says he's a poached egg. I love that. Or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make a choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, Or else he is a madman. Or else he is something else. You can shut him up as a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about this, about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. It is clear who Jesus was. That blindfold has been removed. Let me give you a third blindfold to remove. And that's the blindfold of aspiration. We all long for a better world, don't we? Whether you are Christian or not yet Christian or used to be Christian as you as you come in here today, we all long for a better world. We 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 look at the world around us and at best it's incomplete, at worst it's broken and irreparable. We watch the news, We, we we scroll through our news feeds. We see stories of children being abused, even in this past couple of weeks, that break our hearts. We see families this winter having to choose the reality between hunger and heat in their homes. We see elderly people facing another winter of isolation due to the pandemic that we're in at the minute and the fear around COVID. Climate in crisis. And the debate, what can we do? Is there anything we can do? A a pandemic, an avalanche of mental health issues and anxiety issues, affecting, let's be honest, every one of us in some way or another. Suspicion and fear and disconnectedness. You, all you have to do is, is scroll through the news feed on your phone, your device, or turn on the news at 10 o'clock at night. And you see it. All you have to do is look in the mirror and stand still long enough. And you feel it in yourself, don't you? That this world is not as it should be. And, and we long, we cry out for, for, for justice. And we long and cry out for hope. And there's something within us longs for, for a better story, a hope Filled story and, and and the invitation from the culture around us, from the world around us says this. It says, You do you that is the best answer the world can give at the minute. You do you, just do whatever you want. You live your best life, make your best choices. you do you and on the surface, that sounds amazing. that sounds great. That sounds like what we all want to hear. Until life gets hard. Until you scratch beneath the surface. And what it's really saying is try harder to fix yourself. Try harder to fix the world around you. And if there's problems, then it's your fault for not trying hard enough. You do you sounds great. Until you actually have to live it and still find yourself feeling broken and incomplete. And looking at a world that is broken and incomplete we long for a better story and and Jesus coming into the world the promise of the angel the testimony of of Mary the the living example of Jesus own life and death and resurrection it points to to a better story that the god who made the world in love the god who grieved and wept as humanity broke the world through selfish sinful choices that caused us to move on a trajectory away from love and away from hope and away from God has himself come into the world through his son Jesus Christ on that very first Christmas that by his life and by his death and by his resurrection he is the the one who forgives our sins he is the one who who Gathers us in the brokenhearted and the the weary and the, the, the guilty and the struggling, and he says, Let me love you. Let me restore you. You don't have to do it yourself. In fact, you can't do it yourself, but let me step into your life and bring forgiveness, and bring a fresh start, and bring hope, and bring restoration. And then as you learn to walk with me, Jesus says, let me work through you to bring that love and that hope and that restoration to the people and to the city around us. Tell me, which story do you want to believe tonight, this morning? It's not evening, it's this morning. Which story do you want to believe? We take the aspiration, the story blindfold off. And then finally, really simply, is experientially. Jesus did not simply come to give us a different way to think. He did come to renew our minds, but he came to do so much more. Jesus was born into this world because the heart of God is to be known by his people. God has come because he wants you to know him and he wants you to experience him. We talk about love. It's not an abstract idea. It's something to be felt and experienced. We talk about forgiveness. It's not just an abstract theology. You are invited to be forgiven by God. And so this morning, I simply want to take a moment to pray as Emma takes her last blindfold off. And squints as the light comes. I want to pray that your blindfolds will fall off tonight, as you are this morning, as you know God. Let's pray together now. And as we pray, very simply, Holy Spirit, come and make yourself known in every. Heart where there is doubts and there are questions. Come and release the love of God in every heart where people struggle to accept themselves and love themselves and allow themselves to be loved. Holy Spirit, come. And in Jesus' name, bring forgiveness where before there is only shame and regret. Come, Holy Spirit. Take blindfolds off people in this room tonight and let them see that Jesus is real. And for anyone who wants to pray a prayer now, to become a Christian or to come back into that relationship, that walk with God that you feel you've stepped out of, pray with me now. Jesus, I believe in you. I still have questions I don't understand at all, but I believe in you. Thank you for coming to love me. Thank you for coming to forgive me. Thank you for coming to give me new life. I am sorry for the mistakes I have made. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for the forgiveness of my sins. As I turn to you now, fill me with your Holy Spirit. And help me to walk with you today and into eternity. Amen. Amen. Guys, if any of you prayed that prayer, either for the first time or as a recommitment, we would love to speak with you afterwards. So grab anybody who's on the stage, grab one of us or somebody at the door in the welcome team would love to give you some information and maybe pray with you today as well. I also want to highlight little cards that are on your seats for an alpha course that is beginning in January. And if you have questions, if you want to go deeper or you want to find out more about Jesus and Christianity, take one of these with you and come along. Thank you.